Okay, we should before this episode say spoiler alert for Ozark season Oh my gosh, three. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So here we are, podcast number four, and uh, we are actually doing this remotely, which is usually not our style. We're usually pretty much together <laughs> often anyways, <laughs> but it's a world pandemic. You're home. I'm home. We're recording remotely to stay home and stay safe. Um, so of course I have uh, Jennifer with me. JB, how's it going? I'm doing super well. How about you? Well, the pandemic has now been going on for about five weeks. Uh, yeah, something like that. So I feel like now I'm at the acceptance <laughs> stage. <laughs> There's been many stages. Um, definitely the anger stage was uh, my most memorable. How long did it last? <laughs> that was a good week. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so there's been the sadness, the fear, the anxiousness, you name it. But now I feel like we got ourselves in a groove. Yeah. And we've, you know, definitely, like you were saying earlier, some people say they have much more time and we don't really relate. <laughs> I honestly, no, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I feel like I'm busier than ever. And I know that's what you were saying this morning too. So of course, to keep things rolling, we are here recording our podcast. And today it's going to be all about ingredients. It's very exciting. Yeah, which I think is super exciting because last week, well, no, last, last episode, I should say, it was about green beauty and clean beauty. So I think that this is going to tie into the last episode really nicely. Agreed. And I know you have a lot to say mm -hmm. on ingredients. Is that right? I do. And I think you do as well. Yeah. So I think together we have even more to say. Watch out. And it's good because there's a list, right? So we're not going to go on for too long because we could literally, I think, talk about skin and ingredients for days. So yeah. this will be cool. Here we are talking about it like eight years <laughs> later together. So just imagine. <laughs> Um, so, um, with ingredients, there's so much, like you said, that we could talk about. So we're going to try to narrow it down a little bit today on this podcast. And of course we can do like a more deep dive on other things further down the line with other episodes, but I kind of wanted to touch on like a broad aspect of ingredients. So the thing that's funny about this topic is sometimes I think people are a little surprised that. For us and the philosophy that I know you have, Jen, is for you, it doesn't matter necessarily the price tag on a product. Right. It's very much about what's in it and why is it in there. Yeah. And so sometimes like we fall in love with certain products and, you know, regardless of the price and then we flip the bottle and we're like, ah, oh, but why did they put this in there? Or yay, they put this in there because it really affects how we view the product as a whole and what our expectations of it is. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit when you're creating or your experience with flipping bottles and looking at labels like has been over your career and, you know, shed some light on some of those things. Well, the first thing I need to say is that in regards to formulation, I don't think anyone formulates to create harm, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then what's interesting is it really depends on how you see things because, you know, we can talk about synthetic ingredients. We can talk about, you know, chemicals, petrochemicals and all the different alcohols. And we'll probably deep dive into that a little bit later in the show. Mm -hmm. However, that being said is that 
you have to understand basic chemistry. And if we don't comprehend that, it's very hard to then look at a label and make a judgment. So usually when you read a label, you'll go from the first ingredient to the last. And then your first ingredient on the listing would be what it's the biggest amount of or like what that is created with. But you do need water in products, most of them anyways, unless you've got an oil-based product. There's just so many ways you can formulate. And then it's all about what you're adding in there and why. Mm. So I think the first thing that we need to focus on is how to read a label. So, you know, the biggest ingredient or the first ingredient is what is the most of, and then it goes sort of like food, right? And then the other thing is to think of is what is the impact on the skin from this ingredient and why? Mm -hmm. And so it, it becomes a bit challenging because there's a lot of things being said about so many ingredients. So it's easy to judge a product and being like, oh, wow. But I think we should also think about what's not in the product as well. Mm -hmm. And later, as we talk about alcohol, it'll be really interesting to see the conversation around alcohol, especially with COVID and post-COVID, because I think that's going to change the conversation. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, a lot of things are going to change, you know, post-coronavirus, uh, that's for sure. And the sanitary aspect of where and how your ingredients are formulated or your products or whatnot, I think that that's totally going to be a bigger part of the conversation. I agree. So I know that for me, something that really changed the way that I view ingredients is when I was introduced to The Dirty Dozen by David Suzuki. Yeah. Um, and it's something that when we took and taught the OE, Oncology Aesthetics class, it's something that was like, uh, you know, a bit of a baseline during the, the Oncology Aesthetics teachings. And it kind of really flipped everything upside down in a good way for me. David Suzuki came out with a Dirty Dozen list of all of the different, well, I guess it's 12 ingredients that you should kind of avoid if you want to look for more cleaner products, I guess, mm -hmm. and some ingredients that could be linked to causing cancer from what I understood. And it's something that we always go back to that list a little bit, whether we're reading labels or whether you're creating products. I know it's always in the forefront of our mind. And I think it's such a great guide. I remember, Jen, like we had printed kind of wallet size, you know, the list of the Dirty Dozen for people. So when they go in the pharmacy, they can just have it on them to refer. And some of the big ones, I know you've touched on on it, I think in the last episode of our podcast, mm -hmm. the perfumes and the fragrance, like that is a big one. It's huge. Yeah. It causes so much irritation. And I don't know if you wanted to maybe touch on some of the big ones that, you know, were extra highlighted on the Dirty Dozen list for you. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them, but for me, the anything to do with, you know, Talc is another big one for me. I know we find a lot of talc in makeup. Mm. So it's not something we would use necessarily in a formulation of a skincare product. But the interesting thing is, is that they're finding more and more studies uh, that correlate, you know, the use of talc. So baby powder, you know, with, with, with young babies mm. and diapers and cancer. Um, and there were actually a few press releases, you know, done by uh, Johnson's and Johnson's on that 
So I feel like a lot of people are trying to get away from talc and formaldehyde and all these other ingredients. The thing is, it's always a question of where is it being derived from, right? Mm. And so I think that it's a very touchy subject, I think, when we talk about the nasty ingredients, so to speak, mm-hmm. because then it becomes a question of well, like, what's your, so for example, parabens are, are a big no-no, but when you realize that, you know, parabens are the most well-known preservative in the world and on the market. So what people are thinking or what is said is that if they're poorly designed, they can cause uh, various forms of cancer. So think tumors of the breast cancer type of thing. I think that that's so well said. The way you just said that is if they're poorly designed, I just want to point that out. Carry on. (laughs) Yeah, because what we have to remind ourselves with is that the evidence that is like sort of kind of on the fence in regards to parabens, well, the new ingredients that we're using to replace those parabens there's not much studies done on those either, right? But if you have to think also is if you look at um, parabens, you have them in naturally occurring in various fruits, such as blueberries, for example. Mm. So I think that there's a lot of evidence that is actually trying to show that parabens can be safe in small quantities, Mm. but there's not a lot of data on that. So I, I think we've got to be very careful with this idea of everything is bad because I believe that preservatives are important. Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of people don't like the idea of having, whether it be a preservative or an emulsifier in a product, I feel that preservatives are important. They stop or slow the growth of bacteria on product mm-hmm. um, and harmful microbes. And I'm telling you, <laughs> this idea of any water-based product, you need to have this preservative in there because that's the only thing that's going to help stop that. Mm-hmm. And so post-coronavirus, more and more people are going to be asking, what's in there? Like, is there something? Because we went through this whole idea of everything was so synthetic, right? Right. And then everybody wants this whole idea of, organic or, Mm -hmm. and what does that even mean? And we've talked a bit about that. And I think that somewhere down the line, we're going to do a special podcast with a guest and we'll do something on sustainability. I know for you, Jazz, as well, it's like, it touches our heart profusely. It really does. It affects all the decisions I think that we make. (laughs) It's insane. And even like more now than ever. But the idea is that a lot of people assume that preservatives will cause irritation. And that's why preservatives are such a a worry for so many. But when you realize that if you have a compromised immune system and you're using products that are water-based that don't have preservatives, well, if that bacteria proliferates and you're putting that on your skin, you're going to have an issue. Mm -hmm. So it's going to change the way we talk about things. Yeah, yeah. No, and I love the sort of perspective that you're bringing on this regarding that certain preservatives or emulsifiers or like those ingredients that I think a lot of people think are bad, sometimes they're serving a crucial role in the product. And if they were taken out, the product would do more harm than good, or it would not at all give the results maybe that people are expecting or want. So that's the other thing. Well, and that's the thing, because like ethylene glycol is what you find in antifreeze. So like what you put in your car. Yeah. But then when we talk about propylene glycols or butylene glycol, a lot of people will go on about how it's so toxic, but depending on the quantity that's in there, it is non-toxic. Right. That's the other thing. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's toxic if you drink it, (laughs) um, but we're not working with ethanol glycol that you would have as an antifreeze. So it's this idea where these names and the chemistry behind it, it's it's like a... 
you know, sulfates are the same thing. When we talk about sulfates, there's different forms of sulfates. And I remember this was a big conversation we had when we created the peony cleanser. Yes. Because you can have sodium lauryl sulfite and you can have uh, the sodium uh, laureth sulfite. So L-A-U-R-E-T-H. And they're both surfactants, but, you know, one is more... Uh, damaging to the skin than the other. So it's easy to look at them and get them both confused and be like, oh, that's a harmful thing. Yeah, especially with all these like crazy terms and words. It's so easy to associate, you know, right away. So when you're reading that label, you're just like, oh yeah, this is a red flag. I saw a red flag in regards to this ingredient. I wonder if eventually some companies will like fully explain every single role of every single ingredient in their product. I would be really intrigued to see If some people were to start to do that, I think that that could shed a lot of light and, you know, just maybe sometimes just explaining like we chose this for this reason or we chose this and it's actually uh, the natural form of and, you know, kind of go more extensive rather than condensing those ingredients at the back of a label. That could be something that maybe eventually will flourish. I don't know. Well, because surfactants are important and a lot of people don't realize this, but women are the first to say they're wanting to be clean and green and that's amazing. But then when you start talking about surfactants, they're all like, oh goodness, this is dangerous. But then you create a cleanser that doesn't have any and they all complain that it doesn't have this because surfactants are nifty little molecules. They help take away... You know, they bind to oil, they take away all the dirt, all the stuff that's on the epidermal layer. So at the end of the day, those substances, like the the acid mantle is usually hopefully in good quality. The pH level will be, you know, between four, six-ish, seven, depending on each person. So don't quote me on these numbers, but it's an average. Each person is different. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes cleansers don't even have a pH on the bottle. So you don't even know what the pH of that product is, right? So that's another issue. So what I'm trying to say is that the surfactants, as much as people don't like them or complain, a lot of women want a good cleanser that's going to take off all the makeup. But if the surfactant in the product and your cleanser is well formulated and it's trace amounts and your pH is balanced in the product, it's not going to be over drying. It's not going to lead to irritated skin. Mm. Is surfactants, is that what makes it foam? Yes. Exactly. So think of your like your shampoo. Yeah. So that's that's the one ingredient that a lot of people are really worried about. But yeah, because there's different kinds. Exactly. So you know you can have sodium lauryl sulfite uh, lauryl. So it's L A U R E T H. And you know the one that we have that's in our uh, cleanser is made of. Um, with like a coconut extract. Exactly. So it's actually derived from something natural, even though... So it yeah. makes it a lot less irritating. And it's all about the size of the molecule. Mm-hmm. Not many people ask us this question, but it's a very mild surfactant. But we did have a few emails at one time about this SLS, uh, S, you know, that we have or SLES that we have in our product. And so it's nice when we have the time to explain why this isn't a product, what the percentage is, and then trying to explain to people that, you know, you do have an acid barrier, like, and it wants to defend itself against whatever you're putting on the skin. Mm -hmm. So it's more a question of understanding why someone would choose one ingredient over another. Exactly. So usually you would want to choose a cleanser with a, a low pH. So less than six is usually your ideal. So if you have that information for you, that's great which is what we use as a base when we formulate our cleansers just to be super transparent and 
be out there and say this. What's really interesting is that when you're doing your listing of ingredients and what you're choosing is often what you see on the back of a box with the ingredient listing is people don't mention the whole compound. Yeah. That's another thing for right? sure. Mm-hmm. So what happens is it's very rare that like right now we're working on something new and I, you know, emails are going back and forth with the chemist and you know, the one ingredient I want, I'm not going to divulge, but you know, Jazz, what we're talking about, <laughs> um, you know, it is a compound. So this one ingredient, so most people would probably just name that one ingredient and call it a day, but it's compounded with other things because it needs to be effective. Yeah. So that definitely affects the label reading that we were talking about earlier, for sure. Exactly. So I like that you talked about the pH and all that, because it makes me think when we are talking about ingredients and different things, I know we have, I know that a lot of times our philosophy definitely comes from safety Mm -hmm. first, of course, working with the skin, not against it, but it also um, revolves a a lot around focusing on kind of like skin food. Like we like to feed the skin. Yes. And so when we think of feeding the skin, when we think of, um, you know, like giving it the, the vital, you know, vitamins and nutrients or whatnot, of course, right away, my mind goes to all of the different vitamins. Yes. So if we think of vitamin A, B, see all the letters and so forth. I don't know if you wanted to share maybe some of your favorite for skin and some of your favorite vitamins that are in products that you feel are a great go-to for people. Well, I think that everyone can benefit from vitamins. Like your antioxidants are super, super important because they're going to help preserve, Mm -hmm. especially if you have a tendency to have a very high Uh, like when you move a lot, right? So even when we talk about free radicals, even working out will increase your free radical activity. So, um, you know, pollution is another big one. Um, uh, Stress is another big one. So using, of course, feeding your skin, those wonderful antioxidants, your different vitamins, that's a really important thing because in general, it's going to help. The only thing is we have to be careful and mindful of is that when we're talking about vitamin C or vitamin A, as great as they may be, so, okay, so if we were to break them apart, okay, so niacinamide is a vitamin B3. Yep. And it's very gentle, right? And it's a great anti-inflammatory, which is something that, you know, I love vitamin B3 and I try to put it in everything we formulate pretty much when we can, because that's what it does, right? But it could be good for all sorts of skin types. It could be, uh, you know, for dehydrated skin, it could be good for like uh, aging skin, any like mature, anything. It's great. It does have like a bit of a smoothing effect, if I remember. Yeah, okay. Um, And then if you talk about like, for example, vitamin C, Mm -hmm. well then, you know, your vitamin C is a protective antioxidant. So it's very different, right? One is, you know, helps for anti-inflammatory. So think B3, but then your vitamin BC, well, I I can't speak today. (laughs) I get too excited. (laughs) Vitamin C. (laughs) This is good because this is exactly how I am when I give a class. So everyone bear with me, Um, is is a protective (laughs) antioxidant. So it's going to brighten your skin. It's going to increase collagen as well. And, but vitamin C also comes in many forms. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not something that I would suggest for sensitive skin or dehydrated skin, right? 
whereas vitamin B3 could go for dehydrated, sensitive, uh, mature, um, mature in the sense of like mature uh, aging and uh, hyperpigmentation and acne. So mm-hmm. B3 can go to everything. Right. Vitamin C, you'll be more cautious with. Vitamin A, there's different derivatives, of course. Um, we talk a lot about this, but you know, vitamin A is a superstar. Lots of research to back it up. Once again, though, however, I would have to say that I would not use it on dehydrated and I wouldn't use it on sensitive skin. That's my philosophy. Yeah. Vitamin A is definitely the the vitamin that we get the most questions about. Like usually if we give any sort of lectures or classes or you do any sort of speaking engagements, I feel like the first hand that goes up is like, what about retinol? <laughs> what about vitamin A or whatever? So, And you, Jazz, did you ever use retinols like back in the day? Do you remember? Oh, I'm sure I have. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I have. I really tried everything under the moon. So, yeah, most likely. But it's not something that I'm gravitating towards much now anyway. No, right? um, I feel like I'm more with the, yeah, with the antioxidants as well and more into anything that's like protective or healing, like that kind of thing. You know, of course, like vitamin E is something that I really like and uh, vitamin K, which is like impossible <laughs> to find. Yeah, and vitamin C and E work so well hand in hand. So then again, it goes back to formulation, right? So certain vitamins will work better in tandem with another one. And if it's on its own, it won't do the same thing. So that's where formulation is so exciting. And I think that's why I drive people insane. Well, especially with this new product. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) I think too, like when you were saying the ones that work in sync, I'm pretty sure for your body and the way your body absorbs it is the same with certain foods. And if you start taking supplements, like I know, of course, like definitely get some real advice before you start taking supplements. But um, I think that there are certain vitamins that like, if you want your body to absorb a certain one, you need to have this other one. So yeah, it's, it's quite complex, even though they're all wonderful and they all can create like amazing results and whatnot. There's still a way that they need need to be uh, worked together and maybe some combinations are better than others. <laughs> so let's say if you're like full on your vitamin A, maybe like don't go so crazy on vitamin C at the same time or alternate or, right. you know, so you need to not throw it all at once. Another one, another vitamin that we're a big fan of, oh, I guess maybe it's a, more like a mineral, but it's zinc. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit. You've had some great results with some, uh, when we used to do clients with uh, zinc. So why don't you share why it worked so well? Well, zinc, it depends on the form, right? So not all forms of zinc are created equally. So if I was to talk to you about zinc, I would definitely be more wanting to talk about what we call a zinc PCA. So it's because it helps limit proliferation of acne-causing bacteria, Mm -hmm. and it actually helps normalize the production of sebum. Mm. So zinc is really interesting, but then again, it's got to be like, you know, there's a difference between zinc and zinc PCA. So when I talk about zinc, it's really more the zinc PCA I'm referring to if you're using it topically. Mm -hmm. I'm also a big fan of zinc orally as well, as long as it's okayed with the physician Mm -hmm. and or pharmacist. But yeah, I think people are more into finding other alternatives to 
not only the causes of blemishes, so like acne and so on and so forth, I think more and more people are becoming curious to being like, is there something else I can be doing to preserve the health of my skin without like ablating? Because if you think about it, if you had a lot of acne Mm -hmm. and you're using a lot of harsh chemicals and you're using like, whether it be salicylic acids or what have you, and a lot of vitamin A, well, you might be getting a result, but you're not really reducing the production of the sebum, right? You're not really, you're not really attacking the cause. You're helping the end result. So I think that with uh, zinc PCA, the fact that there is that opportunity to, if it's well formulated to work on the secretions and on the proliferation of the acne causing bacteria, that's a pretty darn good ingredient. Yeah. Pretty darn good. And uh, I know when like young girls would be taking it after it it was of course, okay with the physician um, to help with hormonal breakouts and like that sort of thing. I know it's because it has to do with when you have your cycle and uh, you're losing so many, you know, vital minerals. Yep. And I know that zinc was a, a one that we're, we lose a lot as women. So that's why that sometimes, you know, when you're correlating, oh, hormonal breakouts with the fact that you're on that time of the month, yep. there was a correlation with that. So I know that we had seen really great results with... Um, Amazing. Yeah. So uh, another one that we're a big fan of, which I think it's getting a little bit more hype, <laughs> more and more, are probiotics. And uh, probiotics, of course, like the microbiome is a big thing that people are kind of starting to connect the dots, um, your skin's ecosystem, the good and bad bacteria. And uh, probiotics, I mean, I think you enjoy them, Jen, from what I I do. I just don't think that um, they're all created equally like all other ingredients on the market. I don't think that all of them work for a healthy microbiome as easily as we would want to say. There's a lot of conversation about whether it's worth the hype or not worth the hype. Because there, there are some of the results that we're seeing, depending on the probiotics that you're using. So some people are seeing great results in regards to even pigmentation, eczema, rosacea, breakouts, and such. So I think there's something to explore there, most definitely, because I think there's such a great link between your intestine, right, and the bacteria and your skin and your microbiome. So I think there is something there. Mm-hmm. And it's something to explore most definitely. Definitely not only uh, internally, but I feel like topically on the skin as well. So it's, I do think that there's something with the probiotics most definitely. Yeah. I like this new wave of, you know, I feel like they're being talked about more and more and I'm always like, Ooh, my little ear goes out. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I want to hear more of what you have to say about probiotics. Yep. Um, you mentioned earlier about good and bad alcohols. I know this is a topic that you've definitely touched on many times. I know like we've done Instagram posts about them to try to kind of shed some light on the whole thing because some alcohols are very good and actually super important to the composition of a product. Right. So do you have some pointers, you know, like what would be more defined as a bad alcohol so that people can maybe look out for those in products? Well, the thing is, is like we have to keep in mind that alcohol is vital for ingredients, right? Because the alcohol is often what's going to help the skin absorb the ingredient. So we there's no way we can get away from that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's different types of alcohols. There's alcohols that are going to be more what we call uh, perceived as harsh or unsafe. Mm-hmm. And then you have some that are what we call a low hazard. And some of them are really interesting because, you know, more and more you'll find alcohols that are uh, used with uh, what we call as 
fatty alcohols. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about your fatty alcohols, there'll be alcohols that'll be uh, created with natural ingredients like coconut and nuts. And so these fatty alcohols will include what we call as acetyl alcohol. So it's a C-E-T-Y-L. And these are alcohols that are usually used as emulsifiers and they help create this like rich and luxurious texture in skincare. So they're really, really important. It's the, the complete opposite of what you would think. You know, I hear you say words like rich and all this other stuff and you would right away associate like alcohol drying and depleting. So it's so, yeah. you know, it goes to show that um, the different words and chemistry is solely sometimes the opposite of what we may assume in our minds. So yeah. And it depends on what you're using it for because are you using it as an astringent or are you using it as a vehicle, like a vector to help So Mm -hmm. depending on what you're using it for uh, as an emulsifier, it's a completely different reason for it being in there. Mm -hmm. And it's not like an astringent because, you know, at the end of the day, witch hazel, which a lot of people love to use, is actually extremely drying for certain people. Mm -hmm. So it then it goes with like, what's the property? Why is it there? You know, what's... um, And then the interesting thing is, is like we often talk about the drying alcohols because they always, you know, there's always this idea between the good and the bad, like what's a good alcohol and what's a bad alcohol, a good alcohol. But what's important to understand is that even in your alcohols that would be perceived as bad... There's not been that much testing. So what they're showing now more and more, and I think it's a great conversation due to COVID and what we're talking about. Of course, if you're using like, I don't have one here, but I made a homemade do-it-yourself. Yes. Like hand sanitizer, which I know there was, I want to say alcohol, aloe vera, and I want to say tea tree. Yes. And my alcohol is like 99%. Like it, yeah. Oh yeah, that stuff is powerful. You gave me a bottle and I was like, woo, I'm disinfected for days. <laughs> right. So if you use that every day and you're not hydrating your hands, your hands are going to fall apart. There's no, like truth be told, forget it, you're done. <laughs> like you're a cooked goose, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you're using, um, the reason we use the more, what you call dangerous alcohol, and I hate to use that word because it's really not, it's because it makes formulas lighter. Ah. Okay. So the denatured alcohols that everyone's afraid of make formulas lighter. They actually, not only are they lighter, they're absorbed faster. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you are that person who doesn't like that sticky tacky feel when you apply a cream. Yes. I know many of them. Mm -hmm. You will want that formulation of alcohol because you're not, it's going to absorb faster. Your skin's going to feel light. And so, but the interesting thing is, is there's not an actual evidence Like there's no actual evidence Mm -hmm. that over time it causes that much trauma if in your formulation, depending on the percentage of alcohol, one, and two, what are the other ingredients around it? Right. Yeah. Because some ingredients that you buy in a compound, you can't get away from denatured alcohol. Mm, yeah. So even if it's not listed, it could be in the, count, in the compound. Yeah. Right. Because it's going to be a temporary effect. So what happens is on application, you might get that, but then in the cream, you have everything that you need. So it actually will reverse the effect with the moisturizer. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So it's really a question of how much is in there. Mm. Yeah. Because it's really the, we always say like the dose makes the poison. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Are you watch you watched uh Ozark, right? We've talked about this. Ooh, so addicted, yeah, to Ozark. <laughs> she didn't kill him after one shot, right? You uh, she probably gave him a lot of poison for him to die over time. I don't know, maybe not. But it was really like, oh, you think I don't know. Oh, I never saw it that way. Okay, we should before this episode say spoiler alert for Ozark season Oh my gosh, three. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's really a question of like how much is in there. Like, yes, it's like drinking a glass of wine. There's a difference between drinking your glass and drinking a bottle. So really the exactly. dose makes the poison. So it's important when we're yeah, talking really about does. alcohol, it's you need to understand why it's in there and what's the percentage of mm-hmm. it, it in there and in some time, some, most of the time it's there for your good. So there you go. That's my whole alcohol talk. Well, I like it. You talked about some oils earlier and I wanted to kind of end this with uh, touching on oils. We're big fans of oils, certain ones to, just to make that clear, we don't love all oils because not all oils are equal necessarily. Right. (laughs) But some of our favorites are definitely like we love grapeseed. We love sunflower seed oil. Sunflower seed oil is like so amazing because it's got a lot of vitamin E in it, which makes it so it's its own preservative. So that's an interesting way also to look at preservatives. Like the vitamin E is acting like that in that product. And maybe you would never guess so. So I just wanted you to touch a little bit on coconut oil because we see all sorts of things like coconut oil had basically a revival a few (laughs) years ago. It was like coconut oil, your life (laughs) on your hair, on your toes, on your everything. And then of course, skin was next on your skin, of course. So coconut oil that's in your kitchen. What is the deal? Like, I mean, I think if you put it in your hair, it's one thing, but I feel like people are doing a lot of things to your to their face with it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe share a little bit. What's the difference between coconut oil coconut oil in a product and formulated so, and then the one that's in your fridge or pantry? (laughs) Well, the first thing we have to understand is a face oil that's created, usually most face oils are pretty sophisticated. Mm. So it's not like just one ingredient. So plant oils are very rich source in antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes face oils will be created with a plant oil And oftentimes we'll add some skin restoring ingredients in that. So a skin restoring ingredient would be like, for example, uh, niacinamide. So your vitamin B3 might be in there, or you might be adding some peptides in there, right? Or for some, they might be boosting ingredients. So a hydration and boosting ingredient would be like a ceramide. Mm. So that's what people have to understand. So when you're getting a face oil, you can use it on its own. For some people, they'll replace it, you know, from a moisturizer. Sometimes I, I prefer people using it together. I think it makes a really good, um, like a really good tandem because oil sits on water. So you've got this whole uh, idea, but you need to keep in mind that they are sophisticated blends, right? So it's not just a question of taking a coconut, creating coconut butter, and then throwing that on your skin. For most people, what's going to happen over time is it's actually going to cause a, um, a negative effect. So most people will get a congestion, their skin will uh, not breathe as well, and then they'll start to break out. And so it's it's a very important thing to understand that when you're using a face oil, it has to be created for that reason. It's not a frying oil. You know, it's, it's really not, uh, you know, it's not like uh, we have coconut oil here. 
it's great, but you know, we make it to make popcorn sometimes and other things, but not for my face. So I think if someone is using it once, um, as like a go-to, like I'm in a, I'm in a jam and I'm using coconut butter or oil on my face to take off my makeup. That's one thing. Yeah. But, um, it would nothing, it would be nothing. It would not help boost or nourish your skin. It's not going to help renew your skin and it's not going to help you as the weather changes. It's actually going to be a negative for your skin. Yeah. Because if I understand correctly, the molecules in the one that's for like cooking, let's say, are so much bigger, right? right. So they kind of just sit on top of your skin. So then they're creating this occlusion. Yeah. Um, I know some people like from experience, like if they use a lot of coconut oil to take off their eye makeup, over time, you end up seeing like the little milias that are forming around the eye area because the skin's like, this is too much. So I think like you said, like, you know, if it's you're in a pinch or it's something that you're doing or you're trying or whatnot, like your, your face won't fall off, you'll be fine. But it's like the cumulative effect. It's not really going to do what you're hoping for. So So a good formulated face oil is very different than the face oil in your pantry. Definitely. So I think that this was super informative. I mean, I always learn every day about ingredients. I feel like it's an endless thing that could be discussed and explored. And yeah, unless you have anything else, I don't know if you have anything to add, anything. No, I'm just going to say that I'm super excited because we're working on something new. Mm. Um, and we're all into the ingredient aspect at this time in the game and we're doing testing. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited that we're talking about this because uh, it's something that I feel like is always exciting when we get new samples in as you know jazz oh yes you should see us <laughs> and so to be able to talk about it while we're creating it it's actually kind of exciting and then we're going to be adding a lot of sustainability talk into all of this as we go so this was great mm -hmm. so yeah at the end of the day it's of course be sure to check out what's in your product what's been left out and read your labels, but don't go over the top with it all. And if you have any questions ever, of course, about ingredients, DM, email, whatever, you can also, of course, follow on Instagram, JB Skin Guru handle. Uh, we share a lot of things on ingredients there often. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you, Jazz. <laughs>